0: on behalf of rebuilding your life radio and the train your brain claim your power calls welcome i'm susan Shireko. joanne Lynham is joining us today to talk about her book an angel at my door she really wanted to become a mom and when it didn't seem as that as if that would ever happen she adopted two sons from sri lanka And then miracle of miracles, as so often happens in our world, Joanne became pregnant with her daughter, Emma. And this is a very special child. So let's learn more. Please wave your hands to welcome Joanne Lynam. Hello, John. Joanne, welcome.
1: Thanks so much, Susan.
0: Joanne, Emma's story is special from the very beginning. First, the miracle of getting pregnant at all. And then a special message you received while you were pregnant. Can you share that with us? Yes, I was. In
1: fact, I'd been to the doctor and had an ultrasound at nine weeks precisely. So precisely three mornings later. So I'm nine weeks and three days pregnant. I sat to do my morning meditation. And I was simply curious about confirming, is this a little girl? Because I had a sense I was having a little girl. So as I settled into my meditation, I had my hands on my tummy and I was asking that question. And then I had a vision in which I saw myself give birth. Somebody else was helping me and lifted this little baby up to show me. And I could see immediately that, yes, it was a little girl. And I could see that she had Down syndrome. In that moment was one of the most um, amazing, peaceful moments of my life. It felt as if the whole universe just went and held its breath. I felt as if I was being held, hugged. I felt loved. I felt loving, not for anyone or anything in particular, but just a beautiful sense of love. And when I came out of meditation to go about my day and get the boys' breakfast, I knew with absolute certainty that I was having a little girl and that she did, in fact, have Down syndrome, not just because of what I saw, but, to be honest, more what I felt made me confident. And so I felt incredibly grateful because I was being given a vision and being reassured, everything will be all right. It's going to be okay. Which, of course, it was, ultimately.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Ultimately, it was. So yeah. what inspired you to actually write about it?
1: Well, to tell you the truth, Susan, um, I never wanted to. In fact, I can re- recall a few years ago, quite a few years ago, a friend and I were chatting and we were sharing that we'd read similar books and um She said, I'd love to write a book one day, wouldn't you? And I said, no, God, no, no. That sounds like a lot of work. No. And then in 2018, I had a dream in which I was writing a book about Emma. And I woke up literally in a sweat, in a panic, like, oh, no, 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 this can't be right. So I've got a couple of books here that give you indications of meanings or possible meanings of dreams so I almost ran to the lounge room to get the book and it said a desire for further learning and I thought oh thank goodness for that and I kind of went oh, that's a relief and then I had the same dream which did feel a bit like oh that's not good but I reassured myself this is about <laughs> further learning what is it that I need to learn? I wish I, I wish something would show me what I need to learn so I don't have to keep having this silly dream. And then I had the dream a third time and I woke up feeling like, oh, no, things happen in threes. No, this can't be right. And that morning I opened my emails and there was an email from a publishing house and it said in a big bold banner across the email, is there a book in you? Click here. And something made me click. And I kind of went, oh, my God, what are you doing? And I thought, well, they'll never contact you. You're in Australia. They'll never contact you. The next day they rang me. And it was the most bizarre out-of-body experience. I could hear myself talking to her, talking through how this would be a book. But in my head I was screaming, shut up. Don't say another word. Just shut up, Joe." And then I heard her say, oh, that's great. Do you think you can write it? And I hear myself go, oh, yeah, sure, I can write it. And I hung up and thought, oh, my Lord, what have you done? But again, um, (laughs) it's one of those moments in your life. Well, it is
0: an amazing, yes, it is. It's a wonderful moment of coming, personal truth. (laughs) Yeah. But it's an interesting story too, JoLynn, because, you know, Emma said, when she was born you didn't feel that society was ready to welcome her with open arms
1: no no i'm not sure what it's like was like in the u.s in 1994 but certainly here in australia we weren't exactly at a point of inclusion and acceptance of people who were different so um, to be honest i was not aware of that I had no idea of that. All I saw was my beautiful baby girl. Then to me, she was just, she looked like a beautiful little cherub. She was just angelic. But the first inkling that others didn't see value in my daughter came from the medical profession itself in that um, Emma had to have major surgery to repair her bowel. She was born with a duodenal atresia. So the surgery went fine. But a little while after surgery, she had a bleed and crashed. She was resussed, or resuscitated. Um, and a little while after that, as I'm sitting beside her oscillate in intensive care, the medical team said, um, well, Mrs. Lynham, we just need to let you know that if your daughter crashes again, we won't resuscitate her. And I looked at them like, what? And they looked at me like I had two heads and said, Mrs. Lynham, your daughter has a quite significant disability. And so I said, well, I'm not leaving the intensive care until I get an assurance that you will do whatever it takes to keep my daughter here. I want her. So I literally sat there for hours and then early hours of the morning, the pediatrician sat beside me and said, asked, was I okay? And I said, yes. And he then said, Mrs. Lynham, why don't you just go home and get on with your life? Leave her here. I'm sure we can find somewhere to put her. So that for me, within a short time of my daughter's birth, was like, what? What, what, what is this? So right there and then I had um, a very clear slap in the face of the devalued way in which society tends to see people with Down syndrome which was confronting.
0: That mm-hmm. is confronting when you come at it from your perspective, because they just don't see it. They don't know how to accept it in general. Mm. They're mm. getting better, but it was, it was, I can remember as a child, it was not, we did, nobody knew how to handle it because the children mm. look so different. Um, mm. You uh she went through school. She, she graduated from high school, yes? Or some kind yes. of a system?
1: Yes, some kind of a system. That's a really good way to put it, yeah. Ultimately, I mean, I struggled and battled for her to be included in the same school that her brothers were in. Um, and, and after something like nearly two and a half years of, you know, talking with them and battling it backwards and forwards over the line with them, they agreed. She went to preschool there and had a fabulous year. Then year one, unfortunately, she only spent six months in year one because um, the hostility from the teacher and from the other families was ultimately, I realised, was toxic. It was not good for Emma, not good for any child to be in that environment. So he pulled her out. But Long story short, she ultimately wound up in a special unit and she graduated from there. Um, yeah, which was, and yeah, sad. But and was what a, was
0: it like when she graduated? What was there? What what did she have to look forward to at that point?
1: That's a really good question. At that point, she didn't really have anything, and I can remember sitting at her graduation, and I was really enjoying watching her up dancing with her two brothers, and she was having a ball, and I was sitting laughing, smiling, watching her. And all of a sudden, this thought crept into my head, which was, what now? What are you going to do now? How is her life going to go forward? How? 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 What are you going to do? So I'm sitting there watching, smiling, inside thinking, oh, my Lordy, what? What? And to be honest, I didn't know at that point. I knew she had to work and contribute to the community so that she could be part of the community but I didn't at that point know how to make that work. That came a little bit later.
0: And how did that one come to you?
1: Um, I'd been looking online for ideas, thoughts, ways, and um, I did a workshop here with an organisation called Crew Community Resource Unit. And what was mind-blowing about that workshop was that The speakers were all people with disability and they lived in my community and it was them and their parents and I was literally like blown away by it and as I was driving home from that workshop that afternoon, I had to pull over. I was sobbing so hard in in that it just so much emotion was coming up. It felt like an oil well shaking and shuddering as the oil is making its way to the surface. And then the next morning, I decided to meditate on it. And in my meditation, I saw Emma shredding. And to be honest, I thought, oh, concentrate, Joe, And I pulled myself out and started again. Come on, (laughs) focus. Get get your act together, focus. Come on. And then I saw it again. And I thought, no, no, that's it. That's it. That's what she's going to do. Because I remembered then that when she was in high school um, in year 12, they would take them sometimes to the school office to do um, office skills. So that involved putting newsletters in envelopes or um, stamps on envelopes and shredding. Well, Emma wasn't interested in folding the newsletters or putting stamps on, but she did like the shredding. And in that moment in meditation, it was, again, just a brief time, but it rolled like a movie in my head. Where I could see it become a business. I could see how it could lead to confidence in her. I could see the whole thing. And I went, wow, that's it. And so then I entered the world of shredders. Who knew there was so much to learn about shredders? <laughs> <laughs> and we ultimately bought um, a big commercial well, um, shredder.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, that's, I mean, it's she. Did, I mean, basically, with your help, she did start a business shredding yeah. in 2014. Yeah. Her first clients, which this was fascinating to me, her first clients were legal companies and banks. Yeah, that's right. And, and I yeah. was like, why? Why was she the perfect person to do that for legal companies and banks?
1: Well. Uh, That that came about not because I was so wise and all-knowing. I wish I could say that. That was literally, (laughs) I stumbled across that, as in I initially sent out lots of letters across the community to all kinds of businesses. I later learned that they would have all gone in the bin. So then I decided to to look at who uses a lot of paper, who needs to get rid of it. And I had a conversation um, with a legal firm, and they expressed concern you know, with things leaving the premises and that things had to be very confidential. And I realized in that moment that she presented the perfect person because despite me spending thousands for Emma uh, to learn to read on tutors and whatever, she never did learn to read or write. And I thought, well, who better to do it than her? And so then I thought if she goes to them, that makes it even more secure. So when I put that business model to uh, legal firms, that was ideal for them because confidential things weren't leaving the office until they were destroyed. So it worked very well for them. The way in which we helped them store it in a lock bin also met compliance and and um, if they got audited. So it was a perfect um, it was a perfect solution for her. It gave her a way to contribute to the community. For, for
0: her and for them. Yeah, exactly. So, because so what happened there. What happened to Emma? How did she react to having this business?
1: Well, initially, um, we started out at home in the downstairs room, the downstairs part of this house, um, and Emma would just shred for family and friends and neighbours. Um, and when I finally got a business on board, for her, that was very challenging to get out of her comfort zone and do that. So initially, we didn't have any funding. So I was the support worker. I always knew I had to get out of that role for Emma to grow. But initially, she would need to see where I was sitting so she could see me. I'd be in eye, eye contact. So I started to make excuses like, I've got to go to the bathroom. And I'd go down the back stairs and go for a walk around the block. And she would initially say to me, oh, you took a long time, but eventually what happened is she stopped noticing, and I thought, great, now it's time to get myself out of the road. So we applied and tried to get some more funding, which eventually we did, and then I knew that Emma's life could really grow because she wasn't going to be with a mother anymore. She then started to grow into the role of not just having a business but being the loss. So she had a support staff member help her in the business, not me, which allowed the business to grow, which allowed her to grow. Her confidence began to soar. Um, And that was just the most beautiful thing to see, to watch her go from head down, not making eye contact with anyone, to confidently strolling into businesses and signing, hi, you know. And then that confidence grew and grew, so much so that, when we started to talk to her about what do you think about moving out of mum and dad's place into a place of your own? So in 2017, she moved into a little rental for 12 months, had an absolute blast, just like any other young person. You know, think about your own children, you know, they're young people, the, the thing they can't wait to do is to get away from the oldies. And the good thing about that is when children or children move beyond the family gate, they discover themselves to be quite different beyond the, just that role of son or daughter or sister, brother. They discover and explore, who am I outside of that? So being connected to the community helps all young people to grow and discover who I am. What do I, what am I like? What do I want to do? Where do I want to go? And I saw that as exactly the same for Emma. And um, then in 2018, when the lease was up on that little flat, we helped her to purchase a property of her own, which she now has a mortgage and pays for herself. So her life has grown and grown and grown. She's travelled overseas. She went to Japan in 2017 had an absolute blast. And I will say we had at that point a support circle for Emma and they were really good in helping us to plan to get ready for that trip. And one of the things we focused on was how Emma would be able to communicate if she needed to talk to me. And because she is deaf, she signs. The way she communicates and calls me is she FaceTimes me so we can see each other. So at great expense to me. We put that in place for her to be able to do that while she was overseas. And guess what? I did not wow. get one call. You're not one phone call. She rang me the morning. No. She, arrived back. She, she rang me at 6 o'clock back in the morning when she arrived back in Australia. And I can see her face and she goes, hi, it's me. I'm back. Lucky. Thanks for that. Great.
0: <laughs> and then in Joanne. You- Sorry, Joanne, I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you that you mentioned that she had a like a group that worked or supported her. And I think that's my question about building Emma's life around something called social role validation or valorization.
1: Valorization. What is that? Yeah. So that goes back to the, the 70s to a man called Wolf Wolfensberger. And he was looking at people who were living on the fringe or the edges of society, and he was kind of questioning, what, if anything, could we do to change the way society sees them? So long story short, what Wolfensburg discovered was that if you can take a person who is by nature devalued, so that be a person with a mental illness, a disability, um, a, a person who doesn't speak the language, someone who's very elderly, if you can get that person a valuable role in the community, you change everything. So when I began to, to look into this and study it and do some, some workshops around SRV, um, that changed the course of everything because that became like a compass. So now I make sure that any of Emma's formal staff all do SRV training so they know how Emma's life is built. And there are some key things too, Srb. So one is the role, having a valuable role. Another key aspect of it is what's typical? Now, for me, that's kind of like the mantra. The question being, what does a typical 21-year-old, a 25-year-old, whatever, what do they do? What kinds of things do they get up to? What does their leisure time look like? So that is still very much... How, how I look at things. The other aspect, one of the other aspects of SRV is looking at image. How does this look? So, um, for example, with, with her business, I ensure that if you were just driving past her, walking down the street, her and her support worker don't look like her and a support worker. They look like two business colleagues because they're both wearing the same master shredder shirts each carrying equipment so that the image is one of competency, one of capableness, not one of, oh, yes, clearly that's a support worker. It's Image is really important. It matters how the person is portrayed, how do they look. So um, one of the things that I talk about in my book is a time in my life when I worked for the Justice Department as a community visitor, a human rights thing across mental health and disability. So I would often visit little group homes in the community. And I recall a number of occasions watching support staff taking people out to go shopping. And so I was watching people being loaded into a van like Brown's cows with no shoes on, in some cases food down their shirt, the hair not combed, no teeth in. So you say, oh, well, what does that matter? It matters greatly because that's the image that the community has so it's not very likely that the community will engage with anyone who presents like that but if you dress a person up really well they look competent you help them to learn skills so for example they order their own uh, tea or coffee they pay for their own groceries then you have an image of competency capableness so when Emma did first move out, one of the things that I wanted to put time and energy into was Emma doing her own shopping to know where does this food come from and pay for it. So I put a lot of things in place. So spent a lot of time talking to the support worker and having her understand at no point, absolutely categorically never, are you to pick a, a product up and put it in the trolley. If Emma can't reach it, Emma can't find it, your job is to show her How do I get the help I need? So we had, because Emma has very little spoken communication, um, she has some apps on her phone. So one of them is called Proloquo2Go. So that was primed up for Emma to go to the front counter and say, I need some help, please. And then she would show them what she was looking for. So then the staff in the shop support Emma. And then what happened was Emma started to realise that the support worker not needed. And so she started to say to her, you can wait here outside the shop. Well, she could still see Emma. But then eventually the day came when she said, no, just wait here, which was outside the shopping centre. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, And then the day came when Emma decided, I don't need you at all. And how did we know that? Because what used to happen was the support worker would wait outside the shopping centre. Emma would come out Emma has already called the taxi. They'd get in the taxi, go back home, unpack the shopping. But on this particular day, the support worker had got distracted helping an older lady to pick up shopping. Emma turned around and saw that got in the taxi and just came home without her. So the support worker rang me in a total panic, like,
0: she's gone, whatever.
1: So (laughs) I went and picked the support worker up. And I said to the support worker, what do you think that behavior is trying to say? And so I sat and chatted with Emma and it was very clear, I can do it myself. I don't need anyone. So by that stage, the support worker had already taught Emma um, how to use the taxi app on her phone. So she was calling the cab Uh via that. app. So she didn't need to speak. All she had to do was click on the, the various buttons and get herself to the shopping center and back what emma didn't know was that for at least six months for her mother's peace of mind (laughs) um that support worker would be there incognito hiding (laughs) just making sure emma was okay
0: (laughs) just in case oh my gosh yeah so you have support workers you also have a board that helps run her company Yes. Um, and what does we, they do?
1: So we, we started out with um, a support circle and then we heard about a thing called Microboards Australia. The concept actually comes from Canada. So we started a microboard. So that's like any other board, Susan. So, you know, the board of a bank or the board of a, a big company. So it was incorporated through here in Queensland, the Office of Fair Trade. Um, So that allows us to run Emma's disability funding or NDIS funding through the board. So the board is the formal employer. Um, They hold the funding. So that meant that I no longer had to do all of that on my own. But that's not the primary role of the board. The primary role of the board um, is part of the succession plan for when I'm gone. What will Emma's life look like when I'm not here? So I put people in place around Emma. So this job really, sorry, this board only has one job and that job is Emma to ensure that Emma's good life continues so that the board understand the principles of social role valorization and understand going forward when I'm not here, what will it look like? So Emma's two older brothers hold physicians on the board and my husband and I... We go to meetings, but I deliberately, consciously, knowingly chose for us to not have any specific role because I knew that if I took on a role like the secretary or president, then I'd have to try and get myself out of it. So I thought, start the way you mean to finish. So I sit sort of as an advisory person over here, but I'm not involved as much. So I was really delighted About a year or so ago, we had uh, the last meeting before Christmas and the question was posed to the board. Supposing Greg and I are dead and a support person comes and tells you that Emma's really keen on trying this particular activity and you notice that it's not an inclusive thing. It's a segregated, separate thing set up, run by just for people with disability. What would you do? And I was so, so heartened that within 30 seconds, my two sons went, find that activity in the community and take her there. Don't put her in something segregated. And I sat and breathed to sigh of relief thinking, great. The boys get it. So um, the board does have an important role in terms of helping to discuss ideas to put together um, policies, so procedures for things that I sometimes like, I haven't got a clue. Uh, From a workplace health and safety perspective, how do I do that? So we have a member on the board who can help with that. Um, The treasurer is a qualified accountant. Um, So those things are sort of kept on track. It also looks and discusses and shares and talks about what other opportunities can we look for and help Emma have? So Emma had expressed, um, I don't know if you saw that movie, Peanut Butter Falcon. It came out a few years ago and it had a wonderful. No, movie. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's a beautiful movie. Had had a wonderful man with down syndrome in, in the movie. He was a star and he was a literal star. He was amazing. And so I showed that da- my daughter this movie. We watched it together. And when we began to sit down, I explained to her that he had Down syndrome, like you. And she said, Oh, same me. She's signing to me, same me. And I said, Yeah, that's right. By the end of the movie, she was turning that around and saying, Me, same, me, same. And I'm like, What what do you mean? So then signing backwards and forwards, she explained to me, she wanted to do just that. She wanted to have the opportunity. To, to act, to be, to be in a movie, to to be in a play. Now, she's previously done... Oh, wow. Yeah. So we, we've been looking at, and the board helps us to look for opportunities. So most recently, as in Easter, Emma went three hours up the road to a place called Mission Beach to Sundance Theatre and did um, some front-of-house work with them. But she's still very keen to play an active on-stage part. So it's just going to be a matter Mm. of the board helping to find a local theatre company who's willing to look outside the square as to how that might happen. Um, And the other thing she's interested in exploring is um, modelling. So recently she did uh, a photo shoot so that she's got a a portfolio of work to, to show what she could do, how she could be a great representative for her city. Um, so they're all things that the board can help with is ideas. You know, like on your own, you, you've you got ideas, you can be creative and you bring another person in. It's like, oh, never thought of that. And then you bring a few more in. So suddenly you've got a whole realm of ideas and possibilities that you yourself haven't thought of. Well, me personally, I think that's incredibly, incredibly helpful and invaluable to have such a huge resource available to her. So the board plays a big role. Yeah. And a big part in planning for when I'm gone.
0: Well, JoLynn, you've been married for something like 42 years. How does your husband fit into all of this?
1: (laughs) How does my husband fit into all of this? Yes. we have been married a long time. (laughs) Um, So yeah, he's, he's also on the board. Um, and in the same sort of way as in like a, a sit back, ask us if you need us kind of way. Um, and while Greg doesn't play a huge front of centre role with it all, he is very much there in the background supporting it all. So, for example, with the book, when I came to him and said, look, this has been this journey with three dreams and and this lady rang me today. And I'm not sure about this at all. He was incredibly supportive. Now, at that time, I wasn't working. I'd taken myself out of the workforce to try to get Emma into the workforce. But he, he never batted an eyelid in supporting me to write the book. And he understood what I wanted to do, which was to help other families kind of leave a, a trail of crumbs for other families to look and think about how might you look outside the square at your son or daughter with a disability mm. as a gift rather than, oh, my goodness. But see, what are their talents? What are their gifts? How can you turn that gift into something really magical, like a possibly a small business? And if you think about all the different kinds of businesses there are, I mean, just in my community, there's all sorts of businesses. So there's no limit to what you can create. If there's no one doing it in the market, you can do it. Create it yourself. Do it. And so Mm -hmm. I see that as um, something that a lot of people with disability can do, to find and create a niche in the market somewhere that they can fit into. And in so doing, then they give the community something and in return the community embraces them. And that's really, really important to be a part of the community, you know, and that doesn't happen in your own just in your own bedroom it doesn't a good life will never happen just sitting in your bedroom not for anyone
0: no no you're absolutely right it is important to be part of a community you know some people would say that you're incredibly courageous to take this on and follow this path have you always been this courageous
1: well I'm not sure I'd use the word courageous pretty sure my husband might not use that word either He might say something like, oh, oh, don't stand in a (laughs) way. When Joe's decided on something, that's it. I mean, I recall being very similar when we were trying to adopt the boys. So with our first adoption, there weren't too many challenges, but certainly with our second adoption, it was just fraught with challenges, most of them here in, in Queensland because... Australia is a very difficult country to adopt in, either locally, but to adopt from outside Australia is very difficult. It's extremely difficult. Um, and there were lots of challenges. Some of those were the fact that at the time there was a civil war going on in Sri Lanka, which certainly didn't help. But for me, I I just kept hanging on to the idea. And each morning in quiet moments, visualising myself with two little children. In, in, a, in a way, if you like, calling that to myself. Because I, I clearly know now that long before Emma came to this world, I had an agreement with her that I'll be your mum, you'll be my daughter, and I will do whatever it takes for you to have a good life. I also absolutely know that my two sons, Roshan and Luxury, we had the same agreements, that I will be your mum. I will find you. And I did. And and to me, that's just the most amazing thing, that we have these agreements long before we get here, and then it plays out. And, Mm. yeah, while my husband probably wouldn't describe it all quite like that, He's the, the quiet strength in the background who doesn't say much, but he's there to support in what I, what I think is the right path. So when Emma was really, really little, as in only a few months old, I discovered a place in Brisbane that did a lot of therapies with children with Down syndrome. So I made an appointment, went down, and then I committed to uh, cross-crawl patterning. So had a little article in the paper, to get a whole lot of volunteers to come and help. And we did across the seven day a seven-day-a-week period. We had volunteers come through this house. But my husband was the one who was supporting the cost of me going backwards and forwards with Emma to Brisbane, backwards and forwards every three months. He was there. He, was, he agreed with my thinking of at the end of the day when I'm sitting in the rocking chair, I don't want to be saying to myself, I wonder if I had done that, what might have been. I want to know that when I'm sitting in the rocking mm. chair, I've done everything I can possibly do. I don't want to have regrets and go, if only I had tried. I don't want to do that. And he felt the same way. So he said, just do it. Book the appointments. We'll find the money, which we did. So, yes. He That's was so wonderful.
0: You. That kind of support. Yeah. It's really, you know, it means so much when you look back at it. It does. I mean, the title wasn't... of your book is an angel at. Yeah, yeah, The title of your book is an angel at my door. Um, is the angel Emma?
1: Oh, gee, I wish. Um, no, <laughs> Emma is not the angel. In fact, <laughs> the title of the book started before Emma even came home from hospital. As in, um, I had come home after 10 days, and she stayed in hospital for another two months because of feeding issues and all the rest of it. Um, So I was sitting at the kitchen table just writing some thank you notes to family and friends who had sent flowers, and my hand shifted from writing, you know, thank yous to a notepad, and in one go, without any rewrites, without having to stop to think, the whole, this whole poem just flowed out of me, and that poem was An Angel at My Door. So when I started to write this book, I didn't initially have a title, and it was when I was talking to the publisher who said, what's the book called? And out of my mouth came An Angel at My Door. But Emma's not the angel. What I would describe as the angel is that presence of, that presence that came to me when, she, when I was just nine weeks and three days, that gave me that reassuring hug, that presence that wrote that poem. I held the pen, but something far greater than me wrote it. Yeah. So that's the angel, that presence that comes to visit all of us in our lives at certain times to show us I've got a message. Are you willing to take it? And that very much was my experience with writing the book, that, um, yes, I wrote things down by hand. Yes, I sat at the computer. But I will say there are large swags of that that felt as if something else was writing it, that I would read back and kind of go, where did that come from? How did you know that you know? How how do you know that? I, and I sometimes, I, I didn't know how I knew that, how, how where did that come from? And I can only be in awe and sheer absolute gratitude for that. But I think that's part of that agreement. When I said, yes, I will be your mum. So at nine weeks and three days, yes, I could have snuffed that life out, but there was no chance that was going to happen. And all of this, I couldn't see. I couldn't see that. You know, mm-hmm. so many months later, I'd write a poem or something would write a poem through me called an angel at my door. I sure as heck couldn't see that all those years later, there'd be a book. But I think all of those things were already in place. I'm just playing
0: my part in it. And what a wonderful part it is. It is. Joanne, so, where are the books available?
1: Um, the book for uh, your, your audience is available on Amazon. Um, y- yeah, you can buy it online through them. Um, or you can go to my website, uh, joanne at Joannelinum.com and that will take you back to Amazon to, um, to, to buy the book. Um, I think it's probably available on other book sites as well, places like Booktopia or um, things like that. But certainly it's on on Amazon.
0: Do you do social media?
1: Yes, I'm on Facebook. Um, I am on um, LinkedIn and on, what's the other one? Instagram. Just had a a senior moment, couldn't remember. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I don't do a great deal on Instagram. That's a fairly new platform for me. But I do try to post fairly frequently on Facebook on my page there. Um, and you know, anyone who looks at it, you'll see that most of what I'm posting, if not all, is disability related. It's around what does a good life look like? So just recently, for example, I posted the other night a picture of Emma taken on uh, Valentine's Day, where she had the opportunity to do flower delivery for a local flower company. Now she has got the perfect van for it and she had a blast. So I was telling a little story about SRV and how that relates to Emma's life with the image. Here's a beautiful photo. She looks happy. She's smartly dressed. She's capable. She's competent. She's delivering the flowers herself. She's walking along the street, looking happy. Um, So I post a lot of things along that sort of vein. In, in a way, kind of hoping that um, we'll get to a point where more people understand this way of thinking um, and hopefully we get to a place where we have more understanding of inclusion. Why does that matter? Yeah. Why is that important? Mm-hmm. And it is important. I mean, an example I will give is, and I, I think I, did, I wrote a post about this, when I was much younger, a teenage girl at school, I was in a choir, and there was a big celebration in town for 50 years for Mount Isa. And so it was a huge choir of several schools combined. So at the dress rehearsal, it was recorded, and halfway through, they're like, stop, stop. No, wait on, some of the mics aren't working. So when they played it back, you couldn't hear the altos. So all the lovely harmonies were missing. So my point being, we need everyone to be part of the community, Or we don't hear the real song. We don't hear all the beautiful harmonies. All the voices matter, all of them.
0: That's really beautiful, Joanne. Well, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story and your book with us. You know, as a reminder to our listeners, we've been speaking with Joanne Lyman, Lynam, excuse me, about her book, An Angel at My Door. It is such a powerful tale of ability beyond disability. And hopefully as more and more people become aware of this and provide newer and better opportunities for the disabled, we'll really get to see some positive benefits from it. So thank you again, Joanne, for your book and for your work. Thank you so much
1: for having me. It's been great fun.
0: Well, that does it for us today, folks. Bye for now and have a great day.